Thank you, Bubba. As always, good job. Well, if you have your Bibles today, I want to invite you to turn uh, back to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And uh, last week was our anniversary Sunday, and we had a, we had a great service, and the, uh, the uh, Sabakas were here and had a great time with them and uh, what the important part they are to our church. And, and uh, in fact, I got a text from Dan this morning as I was driving in telling us to, he was praying for us this morning and looking forward to uh, getting back here. But uh, as you know, we, we have been coming through the book of 2 Corinthians. And we're kind of out of step last week because we have anniversary Sunday, even though we still tied it into what we were going through. But we have been coming through uh, specifically the book of 2 Corinthians. And if you're a visitor here today, let me tell you, give you a little reason what we're doing, what we're doing. Uh, we, uh, we put a lot of emphasis on ministering to people. We believe that once God uh, saves us, that uh, we're saved to serve. And we to take back to give others what God has given to us. So we're always looking at opportunities that we can do that. That's why, you know, we're going down to, uh, down to the inner city. We go down twice a month. We work based out of a place called Restart, uh, which is a place where they, they take care of homeless folks and people who uh, have all kinds of different needs. But then we have our own teams that are out uh, going through uh, the different areas and trying to help people as, as best we can. We believe that that's what Jesus would do if he was here, and uh, the Bible commands us to, uh, to reach out to people. Well, we have been building over the years uh, a base of leadership in our church that, uh, that would have an appetite, if that's the right word to use, to really go out and to minister to people one-on-one, people who have marital problems, people who have personal problems, people that are struggling in relationships, or maybe just, you know, uh, have got anxiety or depression or uh, all of the things that the world can bring in our lives when we don't have Christ. We want to reach out to those people. And so, you know, we started coming through the, the greatest book in the Bible that talks about ministry, and that is the book of 2 Corinthians. Every chapter deals with a different aspect of what we should be and what we should be doing in ministry. And uh, we're coming through chapter 4. In fact, we're going to finish up chapter 4 today, uh, right before we move into chapter 5. And chapter 4 deals with our personal responsibility of our lives in ministering uh, the ministry that God has called us to do. The chapter, in a very unique way, brings us right back to the central theme of the whole book, and that's ministry. And what it teaches us in this particular book goes along with what we've studied so far is simply this. The sufferings of this life, the things that you and I go through, and many times we go through them because of our disobedience to God. Sometimes we go through suffering because we're doing what's right with God. But you know what? God doesn't really care which one it is. God wants us to learn from our mistakes to take the things that we've done in our life, right or wrong, and he wants to use them in our life That through the sufferings that we go through. Once God, through his word, comes into our lives and gives us what we need to get through it, then God wants us to learn through our suffering how God comforted us and then to take that to somebody else and help them in their suffering. That's really what the Christian life is all about. And that's really what ministry is. Once you get established in the book, the word of God, uh, then we are, we're there to help others through their suffering. Last time uh, we were together, not last week, the week before that, we saw the great comparison of the four types of suffering. And I told you, everybody is going to suffer. Uh, there is no one on this planet is going to escape 
suffering. But we have a choice. We can decide that we're going to suffer for the things of God or we're going to suffer for the things of the world. And, and we saw in chapter 4, verses 8 and 9, how the great comparison, how the Christians are troubled on every side, but they're not distressed. They're perplexed, but they're not in despair. They're persecuted, but they're never forsaken. They're cast down, but they're never destroyed. And boy, there is the great difference between suffering for God and suffering for the world. And you know, the key to that is really simple. It's just simply you and I as God's child, knowing for sure where you're at in your relationship with God and making sure you're doing what God has called you to do. I think after probably most of you are in your 20s, probably some of you in your 30s, some of you older in your 40s and your 50s, some of you even in your 60s. But I think that wherever you're at in life, if you've lived at least 20 years, I think it would be safe to say, it would be honest to say that there's no sure thing in this life. Life, this world, and all the things of it, there's no guarantees, there's no sure thing. But you know, that's not true when it comes to the Bible. That concept of you and me having an absolute standard, a book that we can judge and understand everything in life that comes our way, a book that, that there's no error in it, a book that is from God to man, showing us exactly uh, not only what God thinks about things, but shows us how the world is going to react to it and all the things that's going to take place. And in that, you can be sure. You know, the Bible in Pacific talks about three things that a child of God and God's people should be sure of. This itself isn't a great sermon. You'll be a great it would be a, you could, I, I preached it many, many times. You can develop it into a great sermon. It's a great devotion. If you're just looking for something that uh, is short and sweet and really packs a punch, it, it's this. There's three things. We talk about being sure and being sure in the things of God and knowing where you're at in the relationship of God, which is the key to ministry. There's three things that as God's people we should be sure of. The first one, the Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 19, that we have a sure word of prophecy. That's the Bible. And as I already said, the Bible is a book you can bet your soul on. And everybody that's here this morning that is saved, that's exactly what you've done. God has given us a book that tells us everything that we need to know. It shows us God's plan for the universe. There's three plans in the Bible that clearly laid out. God had a plan for the universe. God has a plan for this earth, which is in the universe, and then God has a plan for your life, which is on this planet, which is in this universe. And God's given us a sure word of prophecy. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 18 says that uh, we should have a sure reward, and you should make sure that uh, your reward is sure. Then the Bible says that uh, in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 10, that we have a sure calling. Now, Here's how it works. If you want to put it into an outline form, and it's a, great, it's a great outline. Here's how it works. The first point is the fact that God gave us a sure book. Once you get established in that book, once you understand that book, and you get it down in your life, then that book, that book brings you to the point, and it produces a sure calling in your life. Once you understand what God wants you to do through the Word of God, and you begin to do it, then you've got a sure book, you've got a sure calling, and then you know what a sure book and a sure calling will produce? Guaranteed. A sure reward. And that's how it works. That's exactly how it works. You, God's given you a pure book, a sure book. He's given you a sure calling. 
And you do those two things, and God will guarantee you to produce a sure reward. Now, I want you to notice, in those three things, notice it didn't say anything about a a sure salvation. You have a lot of God's people, bless their hearts, they struggle with, am I saved today? Did I lose my salvation yesterday? They struggle with the aspect of, are they really saved or not? And let me just say this to you. Once you trust the Lord Jesus Christ as your own personal Savior, if you truly do that, you're God's forever, eternally. But I know that people struggle with that. And and somebody said years ago when I, I, I laid this out, they said, it's amazing that God didn't say anything about a sure salvation. But you know why he didn't? I'll tell you why. Because when you take the time to be sure of a book, and you take the time to be sure of a calling, and you take the time to get a sure reward, your salvation takes care of itself. You'll never worry about those things. People worry about not being saved. You know why? Because they're not doing anything for God. They don't see the salvation that they have working in the life of somebody else. Well, why wouldn't you feel that way? So he doesn't mention at all about a sure salvation. And the reason is, if you've got these three down, your salvation will never be an issue. In fact, these three areas, being sure in them, I'm telling you the truth, they'll, they'll just about fix any problem you've got in your life if you're sure in these three things. And if you get any brain cells at all and left in your mind, uh, you'll want to get these three things down as a child of God. Now, in this chapter, chapter 4, that's what we've been dealing with. We've been dealing with the gospel received, the day you got saved, and then the gospel fulfilled. you doing something with it after you got saved. And I, I, Ephesians chapter 4, I think this is a great one. It goes along with it, verses 1 through 7. He says in Ephesians 4, verse 1, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. Now you see that? God's called you. He's called me. And your job and my job is to make that calling sure with all lowliness and meekness and long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, even as you're all called in one hope of your calling. You see that? One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Now that's a great verse. That verse says you're called. You're called to a vocation. But did you ever see in the context of that chapter what the job, the vocation? That's a job. The vocation God has for you and me? Look at it again. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you were called. You're called to be a prisoner. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, that you and I don't have any rights. We stand as Christians today on the Bible up against a generation of Christianity that thinks all kinds of, that they have all kinds of rights. We live in a, we, we live in a church age right now called the Laodicean church period, Revelation chapter 3. Laodicea means rights of the people. And that's all you ever hear today from God's people. They talk about all kinds of rights that they want to have. And this is what keeps them from doing what God wants them to do. You and I, as a child of God, we don't have any rights. We gave them up the day we got saved. And God likens us to a prisoner of the Lord. Paul said, well, I heard a preacher one time talk about that, and he talked about being 
trapped in the confines of God's love. He's called us to a job, a vocation. You see, a prisoner, when you stop and think about it, a prisoner, he has no rights. A prisoner doesn't go where he wants to go. A prisoner doesn't do what he wants to do. And the day you got saved, if you really want to understand it, God took away your, your privileges. He took away your rights. He bought you like a bond slave down on the block. He paid the price for your soul. He paid the price for your salvation. And when you and I get saved, our freedom is taken away in Christianity. And what God replaces it is with is our liberty in Christ. Now we have the ability not to just do what I want to do. Now I have the ability to do what God's called me to do. And a successful child of God. You want to talk about, somebody asked me years ago, what is a successful Christian? You might think somebody that could memorize great passages of scriptures of the Bible. You might think somebody that went to the mission field and and won millions of people to Christ. You might think it was somebody that built some great church or somebody that could sing great melodious songs and touch everybody's heart. And all of that may be true in a sense, but let me tell you, the greatest, the greatest thing for a Christian, the greatest, most successful thing for a child of God is simply for you, if you're saved today, to simply through that book, find out what God wants you to do with your life and then do it. Giving up everything else for him because he certainly gave everything else for us. And that's hard for God's people today. The fact is that God has called us. He's called us, as we saw in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6, to be ministers of life. And we need to be sure. We need to be sure. We need to be sure, first of all, that we answer the call. And then we need to be sure uh, of our calling. If you ever want an example of that in the Old Testament that really lays that out, the picture in the studies in 1 Samuel chapter 3 with little Samuel uh, with Eli back there in the temple. It's a tremendous study about making your calling sure. The fact is, God has called us. Bible says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 12, it's that that ye would walk worthy of God who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9 says, who hath saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. Ah, oh, the great verse in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, that we all know so well. For we know that all things work together for good to them that, are, to them that love God. And who are what? The called according to his purpose. You see, it's not your purpose. It's his purpose. And that's what a prisoner does. That's what our vocation is. Not to do what I want to do in life. And yet there's lots of things I want to do I get to do in life. But first and foremost, understanding why God saved us. Now, the verse we talked about a little earlier there about making your calling sure is found in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 10. And it says, Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. Now, watch this or listen to this. For if you do these things, you shall never fail. Now, that's a great guarantee. You see, when you get a sure book and you get a sure calling and you get a sure reward, You can't fail. Notice they didn't say you wouldn't fall. We all fall. 
Some of your times where somebody asks a question, you know, a Thursday night Bible study a couple of weeks ago about the struggle that they have of, of just going through a daily routine and staying in fellowship with God. Sometimes we're going to fall a hundred times a day. Sometimes we're going to fall ten times a day. It didn't say you wouldn't fall. It says you'll never fail because God will always be there to pick you up. Galatians chapter 1 verse 6, in spite of all of that, in spite of what the Bible says, in spite of the great principles, Paul said to the church at Corinth, he said, I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you under the gospel of Christ, under another gospel. You see, they received the gospel, they got it, but then they lost it. They didn't lose their salvation, they lost the passion, they lost the, the purpose, they lost their perspective. And now if you study the book of Galatians, he's got to take the whole book and get them back on focus because of the, some of the dumb things that they've done. And it's the same way with God's people today. Now these last six verses closing out this chapter, God gives us seven great principles about our life as a Christian and what it should be in relationship to God's calling to make that calling sure. Now, if you get a little older and hang out for a while and you get the, uh, God calls you to get into the ministry where you can, uh, you know, you start examining preaching and preachers, you'll find that there's different methods of preaching. Last Sunday, you, that, was, that was one method of preaching. You just get in it and tear it apart. But then there's also something that's called uh, uh, expository preaching. And that's where you go verse by verse and you simply look at what you've got. Unfortunately, uh, in days gone by, there were so many great, great, great men of God who uh, were great expository preaching. Unfortunately, it's not around today. Most pastors that you would go to today would bore you to death. They don't have expository preaching. They got suppository preaching. But where is that? But going verse by verse is what I want to do today. And I want to I basically show you some things about these last six uh, uh, verses here that I think will really help you. Put it all into perspective. It'll certainly round out this chapter the way that we need to. And I'm going to read these last six verses and we'll see how not only do they kind of finish out this chapter, but it really sets up everything for going into chapter 5. Now, it says this. Let's turn back here to chat, wherever you're at. Let's turn back to chapter 4. Pick it up in verse 12 down to the end here. So then death worketh in us, but life in you. We having the same spirit of faith according as it is written. I believed and therefore have I spoken. We also believe, therefore speak, and therefore speak. Knowing that he which raised up the Lord... Jesus shall raise us up also by Jesus and shall present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might, through the thanksgiving of many, redound to the glory of God. For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceedingly and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Now, Father, we thank you and praise you today for the Lord Jesus. I thank you for the folks that have come out here today. And truly, Lord, uh, there's someone here, probably many here today, that, that have a specific need. And Lord, even though that it would be impossible for any human man to stand and speak for any length of time to meet all of those needs, we know that your spirit uh, can do that. And Lord, I pray today that you'll take uh, these uh, 
fumbling lips and this, this unworthy uh, temple, and yet fill it with your spirit that it might go forth to touch the lives of these people. Uh, Lord, some of these people are your children, and they, they love you, and uh, they struggle, and they have issues just like we all do. And help them today. Help them to know that this is a place where they can get whatever help they need, that I'll spend whatever time it takes one-on-one to help uh, get them into the Word of God, to give them what they need. And then, Lord, there's probably some here today that are not your children. They never trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as your own personal Savior. Yet I pray, Father, that you'll show them the great difference between living for the world and living for God. But in all these things, Father, we'll certainly give you the honor and the glory and the praise and bless our efforts to to come down through this holy book and lay out these principles. And we'll thank you and praise you in Jesus' name for a sake we ask it. Amen. Now, there are a number of things here that we want to look at today. Like I said, I think seven of them. And the first thing I want you to see is in verse 13. It says here that we having the same spirit of faith, we having the same spirit of faith. Now, the Bible says that you and I always all have the same faith. We have the same spirit of faith. And yet, if that's true, why do some of you answer the call and do what God wants you to do, and some of you don't? If that's true, that all of God's people uh, have the uh, same uh, spirit of faith, uh, why do some of them fulfill the gospel and some of God's people never fulfill the gospel? And this is a great lesson in the Bible. And I think that if you're a young Christian here today, it's invaluable for you to hear what I'm about to say. If you're someone here today that God has really spoken to your heart and you really want to do something for God, this is the only way it's going to happen. Now, this is why this will also help you understand why our church is is the way it is. Now, Romans chapter 12, verse 3 says this. It says that God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. Then it says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7, it says basically the same thing, but about faith. It says that everyone got uh, uh, grace according to the same measure as they got faith. So when God first introduced himself to you, and you first heard about uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the day you got saved, what God did was this. God didn't expect you to know everything in the Bible. He didn't expect you to know everything about him. You didn't have the grace or the faith to be able to do that. But he gives every man the measure of grace and every man the measure of faith. That measure is a measured amount to allow you to get saved. It gives you the ability to see you are a sinner. It gives you the ability to see that Christ died for you on the cross. It probably doesn't give you the ability to understand the millennium. It probably doesn't give you the ability to figure out all the concepts of the tribulation. It probably doesn't give you the grace and the faith to be able to go back and and to deal with some great trial in your life. But when he gives you the measure of grace and faith, he gives you everybody the same way. He gives you just enough that you can believe that you are a sinner, you need salvation, Christ died on a cross for you, and God gives you the measure of faith to be able to see that, believe that, hang on to that, and then gives you the grace to save you with it. And that's how you got saved. Everybody in this room, if you're saved, you got the same measure. At that point, you have received the gospel. See, God gave you a measure of faith and a measure of grace and enough to get you saved for you to see it. But now from this point on, it's up to you. And this is why some of God's people never grow. We talked about our anniversary Sunday, where we've come from in nine years. 
And yet, some of you have done tremendously well. Some of you have been only here four years, five years. So I know a couple of you that's only been in this church about two years, and you're light years ahead of some people that were here when they, we started our church or shortly thereafter. Why is that? How do things like that happen? How can you go to any church, really, and have people who have been there for 40 years, and then somebody else has been there for two years, and the one for two years is doing 10 times more than the one for 40? How does that happen? You see, those are things that we all need to understand. What the Bible said, we all got the same measure of faith and the same measure of grace. What happened? How come this guy did something with it and got somewhere and the other person never did? I'll tell you the answer is real simple. God will give every one of you the measure of grace and the measure of faith enough to get you saved. But from that point on, you got to take that measure of faith and you are responsible for allowing God to develop it in you. You are now responsible where it goes from here. You are now responsible at this point that you've received the gospel. Now it's your job to develop that faith Remember, I, and grow in grace. Remember, I've told you many, many times, many, many times, that life is choices. Life is about choices. And you choose to get saved, and then after you take God's salvation, you have to make another choice. I, I, it's inconceivable that we would even do this. I would think that when we would get saved, we'd be so thankful for what God saved us from, and we would want to do everything that God did because we would understand it. But, oh, not today. Because now we decide, well, God, you saved me, but now do I really want to do something for you? And there lies the difference. I've given you this great verse before, and you all know this verse. Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. It says, for I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Now, this is one of these great Lessons like Dean showed you a couple of weeks ago when we went through why the King James Bible is the absolute infallible Word of God and all the other versions are worthless. Somebody will tell you, and you'll hear it all the time, somebody will say, well, those new translations, they just make it a lot easier. You're out of your mind. Those new translations don't make it any easier. They make it more confusing. I'll give you an example. That Bible says, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. The new Bible say, I can do all things through Christ, who strengtheneth me. You know that's a, that's a lie? That new, tra- that new word is a lie? And there's nothing clear about it? It's as muddy as a mud puddle. It's not God who comes down and strengthens you, but that's what we think today. We all think that you get saved and, you know, you, you just go to church, you know, you carry your Bible, you know, you do all the nice things. And then you just up in heaven, there's a big clipboard. And down here, four or five years uh, later, after all these names, there's your name, Bob Alexander. And while you go to sleep at night, one night, one mystical, magical night, the angels up in heaven are preparing because your name came up on the clipboard. It's a gospel clipboard. It's a neat clipboard. You ought to see it. Anyway, so while you're sleeping and slumbering at night, the angels from heaven come down, roll back your roof. Yes, that's why your ceiling leaks now. You just didn't know why, see? He rolled back that roof, and they sprinkled from heaven. Oh, if the people were awake to see it. I mean, all the wisdom dust from God now sprinkles down. And as you slumber and sleep, fills your brain. And after all those years of waiting, now your turn has come. And you wake up in the morning, and you are gospel, ready to go. 
That's not how it works. That's how a lot of people think it works. Listen, the verse didn't say I can do all things through Christ who strengtheneth me. You know why? Because God himself doesn't just come down and strengthen you. There's no great fairy dust, if I may use the word today, that comes down here and makes you in a, I was going to say makes you a fairy. We don't even want to go there. Makes you, <laughs> makes you spiritual. That's not how it works. The Bible says, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. It's not God who strengthens you. It's the things that you begin to do for him that he takes and strengthens you. You know what you do? This is why I push and push and push for you to get involved. This is why I try to get you going as soon as you get into discipleship. This is why I'll try to hold before you the, 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 the standard of, of, of getting involved, doing something. If it's some of your little kids are going down to restart today, they'll stand in that line and pass out potato chips or a hot dog. They'll give out water, cold water to people to drink. You're training your children right now. You're training them, and God is taking that and bringing that to the point where they're learning the investment of their life with other people, and God is going to take that and use that because I can do all things through Christ. Not who strengtheneth me, which strengtheneth me. It's the things that you begin to do as you see that God gave you the measure of grace and the measure of faith. Enough to get you saved. Now, you know what? Pick it up and develop it by getting involved in doing what God has called you to do. You know what God will do? I've seen this almost in every one of your lives. One of you will come up to me and say, I, I want to do this. And it's, it's meaningless. I could have, it doesn't even need to be done. But you see, I'm always looking to get you involved. And I'll say, oh, yeah, that's a very important thing. Yeah, you do that. Now, I'm thinking to myself, boy, uh, this is great. Because this guy or this gal is going to start doing this. It doesn't matter to me that if it didn't get done, it wouldn't bother me. What matters to me is somebody now says, I want to do something for God. You know, so many preachers discourage so many people from doing something because they're stupid. I don't care what you want to do. I, I look at some of you people. I don't tell you to do it. I don't even insure. I don't even know there's a. We have a clipboard that has your name on it. But after church, you're 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 sticking envelopes in in the hymnals. You're doing this. You're doing that. Somebody's taking the trash out. Somebody, and I know you got cleaning crews. I understand that. But some of you are not on those cleaning crews. I watch some of you do this or do that. Somebody will come up and say, "I'm going to do that." I had a guy one time years ago that wound up being a missionary to Germany. And you know how that guy got to be a missionary to Germany? We used to go to camp. And I had a bunch of dirt bikes that we used to take the kids down and let them ride. And you know what happens when you get 100 kids riding on four dirt bikes for a week. They're trashed at the end of the week. They'd break everything on them that could be broke. He would come to me and he'd say, you know what? I've only been in the church a short time. He said, you know what? I don't know how to witness. I don't know how to do this discipleship. I don't know how to do this or do that. But I do know mechanics, and I, I know how to work on motorcycles. He says, Bob, just give me those four motorcycles, and, I'll, and tell me when the next time you need them, and I'll have them ready to go. He did that for two or three years. And you know what he wound up doing? He wound up going to Germany to be a missionary about six years later. You know why? Because he was willing to take that little thing that he could do, and God took that. And took the measure of faith that God gave him that he's given everybody in this room today. And that kid developed it. 
He says, God, take what I have. It's a lot like Moses back there when God called him to go to Pharaoh. And, and Moses is him hawing around and, and doesn't know what to do. And he says, well, how am I going to do it? And Moses says, what do you got in your hand? He says, well, I got a shepherd's stick. He said, well, we'll just start using that. This kid said, I want to serve God. God says, what do you got in your hand? He said, I got a screwdriver. I know how to fix motorcycles. God says, we'll start with that. You have something in your life right now. If you will stop and think about it, if you're saved, that God wants to take and take that measure of faith and develop it. That's how it happens. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What an idiotic translation. So it makes it clear. It makes it clear my foot. That takes, destroys the whole principle. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. The absolute importance of getting involved, doing something for God, and he takes it and strengthens you. This is what we talked about in Colossians chapter 2, verse 7, for the last couple of weeks, where it says that you and I are to get rooted, grounded, and established in the Word of God. And people who do nothing for God are people who stay nothing for God. And that's exactly why you can answer the question, why you go to any church, this church included. Well, you have people that have been around for eight or nine years, and some of you have been around two years, and you're farther down the line, than, and you look at that and you say, why is that? Now you have the answer. Now you have the answer. Now the second thing I want you to see here, and this will be in verse 13. He says, the first part of the verse says, we have the same spirit of faith according as it is written. And here's the second part of the verse. I believed, and therefore have I spoken. We also believe, and therefore speak. Now, this is where you and I should be, the last part of verse 13. It is written, I believed, and therefore have I spoken. You see that? That's a quotation from Psalms 116, verse 10. Now, then he says, we also believe, and therefore speak. Now, there's the gospel received and the gospel fulfilled. I believed, and therefore I have spoken. Have you? You see, once you believe the gospel, you're supposed to talk about the gospel. It doesn't get any clearer than that. Once you receive the gospel, now you speak the gospel. And every time we come across this thing over and over again, I believed, and therefore have I spoken. Oh, okay, we also believe, and therefore speak. Do you? Well, we go through our whole life, and because we get so undeveloped in our grace and in our, in our faith. We don't let God take and develop anything. We just go through our life. We lose the whole perspective of Christianity, and yet we think we're a Christian. We go to church, but yet we have lost the greatest aspect, and that is not just to receive the gospel, but to do something with it after you got it. I believed, and therefore have I spoken. Now let me show you the third thing, and this will be in verse 14 knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise us also by Jesus and shall present us with you. Now, I don't know if you grasp that right out of the chute, but that's a sobering thought. That is a sobering thought. Let me read it again. Knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus, that's God, shall raise up us also by Jesus, there's the rapture, and shall present us with you. You see that? I told you a while back, there's some things in that Bible that are just kind of tucked in there that you never find them unless you're looking for them. But those things absolutely scare me to death. That Bible says from that verse that when I get presented before the Lord, that'll be at the judgment seat of Christ. That's my own personal 
presentation ceremony where I stand before God and I stand there with him. And if you're saved this morning, every one of you are going to have your own personal presentation too. That's what he's saying. Knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise us up also by Jesus. And then he says, and shall present us with you. Know what it says? It says that when you and I get presented to the Lord, that the people that we've invested our life with, the people that you've made a difference with, the people you've won to Christ, the people you've discipled, the people you handed out tracts to, the people that you did everything with and gave your investment in, that God raised you up and taught you and brought you through and developed that measure of faith, you know what it says? They get presented with you. Now think about that for about 40 years. Think about the fact that when you, I know what we all think, we're just going to, oh, I'll just stand up there and take it. You know, you're a fool. You're going to stand up there and everybody, everybody that ever you ever impacted your life with, anybody you ever witnessed to, anybody that got saved, anybody you invested your life as a disciple, anybody you took the time to give out a track or give a cold glass of water to and they got saved, anybody that you were willing to go down and restart and work with and they came to church and got saved or down on the river and they came to church and got saved, anybody that you worked with, that you brought to church or you worked or you invested their life with, when you stand there before God in that day, and you're presented before him, he's going to say, all right, everybody that got saved through the influence of Bob Alexander's ministry, come on down. <laughs> Boy, won't it be a sobering thing for you and for me if nobody comes? Why, you know what? In some cases, your own kids won't come up. Because you had nothing to do with them getting saved. It wouldn't have been for a pastor someplace or a Sunday school teacher or somebody else. They would have been lost and on their way to hell. I'm telling you, that's a sobering thing, man. That's a sobering thing. Our converts, our ministry people. I, I look at some of you. Some of you are my sons and daughters in the Lord. Some of you are my grandchildren because somebody else invested in your life. Some of you are my great-grandchildren. But you know what? In that day, push to come to shove, good or bad, brother, I'll stand there and I hope somebody comes down. I told you last week about, or the week before last, about two great principles on life that really have to do with your success or failure as a Christian. The first one is that uh, there's a price tag for everything that we do, good or bad. If you do what's right for God, there's going to be a price you have to pay for it. Simply put, because he paid a price for you to have it. But if you don't do what's right and you do your own thing, there's a price tag you're going to pay for that. We see it all the time. That's why we have to have the Word of God and minister to people. People make bad choices. And then the second thing I told you is that everything in life is a trade-off. Some of you will trade your millennial inheritance for a cabin at the lake. Some of you will trade your millennial rewards and all that God has for you uh, for your career. Some of you will trade what God has got for you because you just got to have this big house. You can't afford it, but you want it anyhow. And then it sucks everything out that you're going to give to God. You forgot about the fact that you're not supposed to have it all down here. You're supposed to get it over there. Well, let me give you a third one. Let me give you a third one. You've heard me say this many, many times, but it goes along with there's a price tag for everything we do. And it goes right along that everything in life is a trade-off. And it's simply this, when it comes to the investment of your life, when it comes to you giving back to what God has given to you and you developing that measure of faith and that measure of grace, let me tell you something. There's only two things worth investing your life in on this planet because they're the only two things that are going to last for eternity. And one of them is the Word of God and the other one is the souls of men. 
And in that day, you'll see that investment really clear. You'll either be standing all around you or you'll be standing all alone. I think personally, my own opinion, I think the greatest tragedy for a child of God, I think the greatest tragedy for a child of God on this earth is for a man or a woman to live their life and to die and have nothing, nothing that will last for all of eternity. I mean, they've been been everywhere else. They've been in divorce court two or three times. They've been in jail. They've been here. They've been there. They've done everything. They've been to every party on the planet. They've been to every bar. They've been everywhere. They've been everywhere they go. Once they get saved, oh, they go to all the hot dog deals. They go to this. They go to that. But inside, because they've never developed one thing, when they stand there, there's never one time that they've invested their life in anything that's going to last for all of eternity. I think it's a tragedy. And yet it happens all the time. All right, the fourth one. These are some great principles. He says, For all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God. Now, the context, this is real simple, but you want to get this in your Bible. He's talking simply about this. He's telling the church at court. And the key word here is redound. I don't know if you know what that word means. It's an old English word. It means to give back. It means to bring about uh, an action to something. In this case, the redounding is the glory going back to God. And what he's saying here is that everything that happened to Paul, he's speaking to himself. In this context of the church of Corinth, he's saying that everything that he ha- ever happened to him, everything that he went through, everything that he had to deal with was for the sake of this church, the church at Corinth. And he tells them that I went through this so you would grow in the Lord. Because I want my suffering to be a benefit to you that you'll grow. And then God will get the glory through my suffering. But by growing, you'll give God the glory in your own life. And you'll give thanks to him. And when thanks is given to God, God gets the glory. And the more people who give thanks and figure it out and do what's right, the more glory God gets. That's exactly what God wants. So whatever you do through... Whatever you go through, if you look at it as you're going through for some reason that God is going to get the glory, that what you're going through, when you do what's right with it, when you help somebody else with it, when you're there for somebody else, when they're going through theirs, it redounds back to God the Father and He gets the honor and glory out of it. That's the way it's supposed to work. Now there's the ministry in a nutshell. I tell you all the time, many times in our lives, we're not responsible for the bad things that happen to us. I know sometimes we are. Maybe most of the times we are. But there will be times in your life when you are not responsible for the bad things that befall you in life. But I'm going to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, you may not be responsible for them happening in your life, but you are responsible, the child of God, how you deal with it when it happens in your life. Because God will put those things in your life. That's why I tell you. You know, you know we got, if we sit down here and everybody would lay out their backgrounds, you know, there'd be some, some probably some, some terrible things that some of you have done. Terrible things that I've done. Terrible things that we've all done. But the bottom line is simply this. And this is where the Bible is such a beautiful thing. And this is what I tell you all the time. God don't care where you've been. God don't care what you've done. I don't care where you've been and what you've done. I've told you all the time, I never judge a man or a woman by the mistakes that they made in their life because, brother, we all make mistakes. You judge a man and woman, do they learn from their mistakes? Do they take their mistakes and grow through it? 
Do they take the things that we've done in our lives and let God develop us, bring us through it, that we can help somebody else? It's never a stupid thing that you do, even if it isn't a stupid thing that you did, as long as God gets the other glory out of it down the line someplace and somebody else grows through it. You all got life experiences. You all do. Joe and Christina, bless their hearts, they went through the most tragic time that anybody could go through when they lost that little baby. But you know what? And I told them while we were there, holding in each other's arms, crying and, and, and feeling the grief and the burden. And, and Jimmy and his wife was there. And, and many of you were there. And, I, and I, told, I told all of you at that point that God was going to get the honor and glory out of this. It didn't seem so at the time. And I'm sure many people were asking why. But now we understand only a small way because it's going to get even larger and larger. God's going to take them back in the same little hospital, probably to the same little room where they held that little baby when it breathed its last. And they're going to sit now with other parents. And through their suffering and their grief, through no fault of their own, God now is going to help them give it to somebody else. You know, you all got similar stories like that. Maybe not as tragic, but you all have something. Some of you had drug problems. Some of you still have drug problems. We're not talking about you right now. Some of you have had alcohol problems. Some of you had bad marriages. Some of you had all kinds. We could list as endless. But if you learn through them, if you learn from them, if you let God take that and develop you and bring you to the point where you can actually look back and say, you know what? That was the dumbest thing in my life. And God says, yeah, you're right. But let me show you how we're going to turn around for my honor and glory. That's really where it's at. That's what ministry is. That's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm looking for. It's a simple fact. God wants the honor and glory out of everything. And we are to give him in all that we do. The people that we work with, the mistakes that we make, we do what's right. And we let it redound back to him. Our growing through our adversity and God getting and having the glory from it all through our infirmities and our weaknesses. It's the greatest thing you could ever do. Now, the fifth thing. Look at verse 16. For this cause. What cause? The cause of giving God the glory. For which cause? We faint not. That means you don't quit. But through our outward man, though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. Now, I don't know if you know it or not, but what you've got there is one of the greatest keys in all of the Bible. You see, all this stuff is kind of, it, it, there's no big fanfare. You don't open your Bible and lead lights and flares shoot up, say, look at this. This is some of the most profound, basic stuff that will change your life if you'll just see it and put it into your life. He says there, he says, for which cause? We faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. And with that verse right there, you just got the key to staying in this fight and staying faithful to your calling and making that calling sure. He says in verse 16, renewing the inward man day by day. Now, how in the world do you do that? Let me show you the process. Let me tell you about the process. Titus chapter 3 verse 5 says this, talking about our salvation, and that's where it really started. It said, not by works of righteousness, which we have done. But according to his mercy, he has saved us by washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. Now that, you know, for years and years and years, that was always a, a, a strange verse to me. 
renewing of the Holy Ghost. Well, I thought, uh, I mean, I thought I had to, I, I wasn't saved. How did I get the renewing of the Holy Ghost? I mean, I got saved. It, I, I, I never was saved. But that's not what it's talking about. That's one of the greatest principles in the Bible. And it goes back to Adam and Eve. You see, when Adam and Eve were created, God created them in a perfect environment. And God created Adam and Eve, we created Adam, Eve came from Adam, but he created Adam with the, with the physical appearance of God and the spiritual image of God. You might say Adam was the only man in the Bible that was ever created uh, born again. And he was. He had the image of God and he had the spirit of God. And he was perfect in every aspect. But you know what happened. God's plan was that he was going to, they were going to have children and those children were going to be born in God's image and God's likeness and it was just going to be a perfect setup. But you know what happened. The devil came in and messed that up. And when they sinned, what took place was that Adam, who had the spirit of God, then he lost the spirit of God. And all down through the history of the Bible, man could never have the spirit of God like Adam had it. Oh, the spirit of God was here. And the Spirit of God led and, and guided them, but the Spirit of God could not indwell them like he did Adam. But when the New Testament came and Jesus Christ died on the cross, he changed all that. And when we move from the physical nation of Israel to the spiritual church, the Bible says that God made a way for that image and that spirit to be restored. And you see, when you got saved, you know what happened? Very basically and simply. I mean, I could talk about all the, the, the theological aspects of it, but very basically, when you got saved, what happened was that God renewed in you the Spirit of God that Adam lost. That's all that happened. Up to that point, you didn't have the Spirit of God. But when you got saved by the washing of a generation by the Holy Spirit of God... <laughs> You got the Spirit of God renewed. Renewed. What do you mean renewed? Adam had it and lost it. Every man couldn't get it. And then God made it available under the New Testament. Now that you get it, it got renewed in you. Now, we'll take that thought. Once the Spirit of God got renewed in you, once you have that process, now you have the ability to renew your mind every day. Because the Holy Spirit of God is back. Now you have the ability, and this is why the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 23, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 says what? Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. The Word of God. You see, now you have the difference. Where before you were saved, you couldn't do anything for God. You couldn't get anything from God. But once that spirit of God got renewed, the day you got saved, now he lives inside you and you have the ability every day to renew your mind through this book. That's why I push the principle. That's why I tell you to get this chapter laid out. Put the notes in your Bible. This is why we sell wide margin Bibles. This is why we sell pencils back there and colored things to mark them with. Everything that you need because you have to get the Bible down. And when you do, you renew that mind day by day. And that's why he says, for which cause? We faint not. You know why you don't quit? Because though your outward man perish, believe me, I can talk about that. I'm 62 years old, and my outward man is perishing. It hurts every time I get up. It hurts every time I move. It's perishing. But you know what? You don't quit. You know why you don't quit? Because you renew the inward man, which is never going to wear out. And you renew it day by day. I mean, it's as simple as that. 
I feel like the woman one time that I was preaching and, 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 and she says she got up and gave a testimony. Everybody was talking. I was fired up and going to town and she was just going to town and, and she was getting up and she says, preacher, she says, I'm going to go out of here. And she says, I'm going to kick the devil. I'm going to fight the devil. And she says, I'm going to scratch the devil. And she says, I'm going to bite the devil. And her husband says, you don't have any teeth, honey. She says, then I'm going to gum him to death. <laughs> but you don't quit. You don't quit. Colossians chapter 3 verse 10 says, And have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Romans chapter 12 verses 1 and 2 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed, how? By the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect word of God. You see, God's people have something to prove. God's people have something to prove. Now, you know, tough guys always walk around and somebody says, what's he trying to prove? You know, tough guys do two things. If you always want to demonstrate your, your, your manliness, they always do things. They always, and Job talks about this. <coughs> you always get up and the first thing he does is, I'm going to show you. <laughs> That's what they all My mom used to tell me when I was a kid growing up, Bobby, never pull up your pants in public. To which I would say to her today, which is worse, mom, pulling up your pants in public or have them fall down in public? But it's one or the other, you see. But that's what men do. And then the other thing that they always do is they always, uh, you know, they always, they always talk about uh, who they are and what they're going to be. They always talk about the fact that, uh, and give the expression that, you know, that they really got it all together. And they're always trying to prove something. And somebody says, what's he trying to prove? You know, a Christian has something to prove if you read this passage. It says that, be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed, how? By the ruling of your mind that you may prove. Here it comes. This is what you've got to prove. What is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God? You see, God's called you to a holy calling. And your life and my life should be one that proves that good and acceptable and perfect will of God in your life. Just that simple. Well, the sixth thing, verse 17, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceedingly and eternal weight of glory. Now, he's getting ready to close this chapter, and then he's going to open up chapter 5 on the judgment seat of Christ. But I'm telling you, folks, these last two verses here are bombshells of this chapter. He says in verse 17, for our light affliction. Really? Are you kidding me? I mean, did you ever see all that Paul went through? I mean, out of all, other than Job and the Lord Jesus Christ himself, I don't know of any man in the Bible who suffered and went through more than he did. I mean, did you ever read the list? I mean, over here in 2 Corinthians, let me talk to you a minute. It says over here in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, it says, Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they of the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors, more abundant in stripes, above measure, in prisons, more frequent, in deaths often, of the Jews five times, received I forty stripes, save one, thrice I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned, thrice I suffered shipwreck, a night and a day I spent in the deep, in journeys often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils by heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, uh, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold 
cold and nakedness, beside those things that are without that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. And he lists out all that stuff. He simply says, for our light affliction. Our light affliction, which is for what a moment, worketh for us a far more exceedingly and eternal weight of glory. Now, you want a definitive passage, ladies and gentlemen, that'll give you a perspective on ministry that I try to talk about you getting all the time? This is it right here. And the comparison and the perspective is simply this, and Paul understands it. Paul is simply comparing the things that he went through for Jesus Christ to the things that Jesus Christ went through for him. And at the end of the day, when he compares what Jesus Christ went through in the cross with what he went through with Christ, you know, the only comparison and the only thing he can say is mine was a light affliction. Oh, man. You talk about perspective. You talk about understanding why we go through what we through, why so many of God's people quit. I mean, uh, somebody says, well, how was your day today? Oh, it was just a terrible day. The air conditioner broke at work and we all sweated to death. How was your day today? Oh, it was terrible. The computers were down. We all had to think. Oh, it was just terrible. <laughs> whatever we go through, whatever we struggle with, whatever what he went through, which none of us will go through, he says it's but light affliction because he was comparing it to what he understood that Christ went through. And then he says, our light affliction, which is but for a moment. And there's another great comparison. You see, there's a, there's a song in your, in your hymn book there on page 149. It says, it will be worth it all. It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. One glimpse of his dear face, all sorrow will erase. So bravely run the race till we see Christ. Whoever wrote that knew exactly what Paul was talking about. Romans 8, verse 18 says, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us in that day. You see, there's the perspective. Whatever you got to go through, whatever you deal with, compared to what God's got for you on the other side, it's okay. But when you don't have that perspective because you never took the measure of faith that God gave you and the measure of grace that he gave you and you never invested it, you never developed it, you never moved it, you never worked it, you never molded it. This is why you're where you're at today like you were the day you walked in the door. The only difference between you now and then is you've got a lot more heartache and trouble on you now than you had back then. Lastly, the seventh thing, here it comes. He says, verse 18, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Boy, we got a great lesson on this last week, didn't we? When we got into 2 Kings chapter 6 about Elisha and the young man and the king of Syria surrounding Dothan. And how did the young man come out and all he could see was the armies of the enemy all around them. And he says to Elisha, what are we going to do? And Elisha says, oh, God, open his eyes. And God let him see into the supernatural and see all the armies around him. You see, not seeing the thing as it appears, but rather seeing the thing as they really are through the word of God. You know, as God's people today, we see things one of two ways. And sitting here today, you don't, you don't have to raise your hand and tell you which way you see it, your life and how you live it does all the talking of how you view it. 
It's as simple as that. You either look life in the temporal or you look at it in the eternal. You either see it in the natural or you'll see it in the supernatural. You'll either see the eyes of the world or you'll see it through the eyes of the word. You'll either see it as God sees it or you'll struggle in life always seeing it as man sees it. And I'm telling you, nothing paints our portrait better than what he just said about seeing the things as they really are. Now, in closing here, I want to break this chapter down for you. I gave you the seven things, but I want to break this chapter down into nine concepts. And I think, you, you know, we do this all the time. And this is such a great chapter. <clears throat> you can basically outline your chapter this way. The first thing I want you to remember is that verses 1 and 2, going all the way back to the beginning. Verses 1 and 2, we saw that the ministry is to be done openly and honestly. The second thing principle is that we saw in verses 3 and 4 that the devil will blind people with a false light. Remember we saw that. You want to mark that in there. Then the next thing, the third one, is verse 5 and 6. The light of God in us is greater than any false light the devil has. The fourth thing was in verse 7. Let your light shine. The Bible talked about how that we are treasures in an earthen vessel. Remember that? The fifth thing was in verse 8 and 9. And we already talked about this almost every week since. The comparison of the suffering for God versus the suffering of the world. Troubled but not, uh, not distressed. Perplexed but not in despair. Persecuted but not forsaken. Cast down but not destroyed. The sixth one was in verse 10, 11, and 12. And that's where we learn we go through what we go through for others to be able to see Christ. The seventh great principle uh, found in verses 14 and 16 that kind of breaks this chapter down is to keep them uh, uh, from fainting. We have keep ourselves from fainting. We have to renew our spirit of our mind day by day. The eighth one, we also saw this today, was perspective. Being able to see God's sacrifice for us and then our sacrifice for him. And the only answer we come up with on that one is we're going through light affliction. And then the ninth one, the last one, just tops out the chapter. And that's in verse 18. We just looked at it. Being able to see the things of God versus seeing the things of the world. The eternal versus the temporal. Now, these are the things that you learn. These are the basic concepts that you, no matter where you're at, maybe you just walked in the door and maybe you just have a desire to serve God. The way you do it is to get involved, start with what you can do, what you do know, and take that thing and let God know. The verse says, I can do all things through Christ. You'll get there, which strengtheneth me. Letting God take the things in your life that you're doing right now and strengthen you. But the key is, the key is, you have to do something. We'll hold up there. Next week, we'll enter into chapter 5. And uh, I think we'll get a, uh, I'm, gonna, I'm planning to give you another whole approach to the judgment seat of Christ. So I think it'll help you put that into context. Well, let's have a word of prayer. I'm going to give you about uh, 10 minutes, and then I want all the restart people back up here. You can visit our bookstore, pick up the tapes or whatever you got to get done, and uh, we'll get going from there. Please take the rest of the bread that's out there, if you would, and take it home or whatever you want to do with it. But uh, let's have a word of prayer. Father, we do thank you and praise you for the Lord Jesus. We love you. Thank you for today. Thank you for the truth of an absolute book that uh, no uncertain terms lays everything out exactly the way that it needs to be laid out. We love you. We thank you, Father, for all you do now. In Jesus' name, for the sake we ask it, amen.